0: You like fire, boy? I do.
1: You're listening to Your Tables on Fire. A weekly conversation with the hottest game designers on Kickstarter. We're bringing on episode number five with your host, Jeff Beck. Hello, I'm Jeff Beck. Thanks for tuning in to Your Tables on Fire. With me today, I have two very special guests. I have Billy Shang and Jarrett Thorsted, the founders of Liminal Games, and two of the creators of the game Emergence. Billy and Jarrett, thanks for coming on.
2: Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us, Jeff. Uh, I'm happy to be on. Mm-hmm. This is exciting.
1: Can you take a minute and tell us a little bit about yourselves?
0: Jarrett, do you want to go first?
2: Sure. Well, I went to school at Knox College in middle of nowhere, Illinois. <laughs> I'm a writer by trade. There was no one with that kind of experience on the team, and Billy brought me in to basically do the rulebook, the flavorish parts of it, to help define a theme, basically give a reason for why everything was happening.
0: Yeah, and I know that um, Jarrett, you've been friends with another member of the team for a long while now, probably just growing up. And yeah, a lot of our our team on Liminal Games is just high school friends and friends of friends, so it's people we've known for a really long time. And it was kind of just trying to get together every Tuesday to see each other again, because everybody's busy from our nine to fives. For me, I'm from Seattle, so I graduated from the University of Washington, but I'm just a board game enthusiast. I've probably played board games my entire life. I think the earliest what you can consider tabletop gaming might be Labyrinth. I probably played that game when I was eight or nine, and that's when I started getting into, hey, there's a whole nother world besides Monopoly and Connect
1: Four. Right? and. <laughs> What about you, Jared? Are you a game enthusiast?
2: Oh, yeah. Um, I mainly play a lot of little miniature war games, Infinity and Battletech. You know, I enjoy, I enjoy a good board game. I think that my, my kind of experience of getting into it is probably not too dissimilar from Billy. You know, growing up, it's Monopoly and Connect 4. And then, you know, by the time you're in your 20s and you'll start to realize that there's much more than that. There's, you know, a whole wide world out there.
1: Well, tell me about you know some of your experience gaming. Give me a good memory.
2: Ooh, I grew up with BattleTech and MechWarrior. I don't know if anyone is aware of this, but you know that little click-based game that WizKids kids had, and you could yeah, like, yeah. I think
0: it's called uh,
2: HeroClicks.
0: HeroClicks. Yeah, I was just uh, I just played with some actually recently.
2: Yeah, it's it's a it's a pretty solid like IP. I mean, it's got some problems. But they used to have a Battletech-themed game with giant robots and artillery and airplanes. I used to play that as a kid, and I'd go to a tournament, a local one. There's a game venue in Redmond that ran events. So my fondest memories of gaming is just, like, for whatever reason, the official event gets canceled. And then it's just the person hosting is just like, we're going to have a free-for-all. And there's, like, 10 or 15 people gathered around a table just trying to work out what's going on. Who's on? Uh, going to be on my on my side here. I'm going to try and forge an alliance with this person, and then some lines get drawn in the sand and uh, becomes an epic brawl that just devolves into a free for all.
1: So you were pretty serious going into tournaments. Did you ever ever win anything?
2: No, never. <laughs> <laughs> just like the game. Yeah. I was in in uh, in middle school at the time.
1: I know for
0: me, the the one memory I can probably think of is before. They had Black Fridays online. You'd have to line up at Best Buy at like 3 a.m. I don't know if they still do this. Back in middle school, high school, brought one of my great buddies and we started lining up at 11 p.m. And we were thinking about things to do. We were like, okay, well, like we're going to be here for the next five, six hours. Let's do something. So we brought the board game of Risk. I think that's when it all went downhill from there because as you can imagine, nobody becomes friends after Risk after just playing it. (laughs) And so we played it for about two hours and it got to the point where I was clearly losing and there's no way I was gonna get back. Like flipped the board, started yelling at my friend and like god <laughs> my god van and like drove. and this is why like everybody else in the line are just is just staring at me. They're like, What are these insane people like other people have their sleeping bags and they're like just carefully like reading a book and I'm just causing this huge scene at the back end line of like Best Buy at two AM in the morning. <laughs> and I think that was a classic like
1: wow I got really heated over this game because I lost (laughs) that's that's great so in your guys opinions what makes a really good game
2: I think that it's kind of that experience like kind of going back to to my earlier one of just being around a table surrounded by your friends and you're all scheming against each other a little bit
0: and for me I think it's the player interactions you get from playing with your friends and other people yeah Using the board game kind of as a facilitator to facilitate the fun and the dialogue. And I think that's what makes a really good game of, hey, this isn't just us sitting down doing homework, like focused on one thing and, and not saying anything. It's the it's clever banters, the casual backstab, the trash talking that I think really make a, a game fun.
2: Just a good time with friends with a bit of competitiveness mixed in.
1: What games would you say best accomplish that?
2: Hopefully ours. Yeah, hopefully ours. <laughs> Emergence, definitely. <laughs> yeah,
1: definitely Emergence is de- designed that way.
0: Um, from my personal experience, one of my favorite games of all time is Citadels. And I think Citadels is super fun because everybody chooses a role and there's a lot of anticipation trying to guess who they are. And when they do reveal the character, there's a lot of, oh man, why'd you pick that one? Or if you killed the wrong person, you get a lot of like, oh man, like, you totally should have known, blah, blah, blah. And you just get to see the game played out in front of you and you can see who's winning you can strategize and there's just a lot of dialogue Um, but it's also very strategic in the fact that each person's move is is individual to themselves so when did you
1: guys start designing your own games
0: yeah i think we started uh, we actually started about six months ago in october it was after we have been meeting up and playing board games for a while We just thought, hey, like, let's get together instead of playing board games, try to do something productive and see what we can make out of this passion project. So we sat around in a table and we actually asked each other, hey, what are your favorite mechanics of each board game? Or what do you like about your top favorite games? And a lot of the responses was, we love deception. We love the group dynamic of not knowing who someone is, uh, secret identity. And then we talked about, okay, how do we incorporate that and in what don't we like about secret identity games right now and we took some a lot of aspects of our favorite game mechanics and just try to match them up um, and of course at first that didn't work so we did a lot of tweaking we did a lot of changing and we probably went
1: through four or five different versions
0: of just different games before we settled on this one
1: tell us a little bit about some of the other games that before emergence emerged
0: so there was a a game called like like we're going to make a life but like a more realistic version of life. <laughs> so it wasn't like hey, you move around, you collect money and you pay. It was like, all right, if you're going to go to college, you're going to take this debt. Okay. You got injured. So you can't play sports and, and you got to go like kind of a downer version of when reality hits you hard. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like you had a mortgage. you get divorced. Exactly.
0: Exactly. Like your girlfriend broke up with you. Uh, <laughs> like you're out for half a year or like half a turn. Uh, you're sad because your friends are yelling at you because you don't have time because you're trying to apply for med school, like things like that. And it got really sad really quickly. And we were like, okay, let's not, let's not play that game.
2: <laughs> it was a card game though, right? Like exactly, a deck building.
0: Yeah, it was a card game. You would play like these cards and the cards would determine like what you're getting for life that day. If you were like getting a good day, if you're getting a bad day, things like that. So we scrapped that on pretty early in terms of another game. We tried to make it purely team game. So Almost like a three-on-three tabletop MOBA, where you're moving around and board. you're on a team of three players against another three players, you can build villages, you build walls, and the whole point is to capture enemy territories, but we found out quickly that games like that leads to a lot of quarterbacking, or just one person saying, hey, you should do this, oh, you should do this, this and this, this and this.
1: We didn't want to create a game like that. So when you were creating these games, where would you start? With the mechanic or the theme?
0: We started off with just kind of our, our favorite mechanics of games. And then we try to match a theme to it. And it just kind of grew in parallel. And I think uh, when we first started, we were thinking, okay, maybe we'll do it in the future. But what is the exact setting we want? And Jarrett had this great idea of what they call the
2: post-human. The basic premise uh, that I kind of devised, they gave me the mechanics And kind of the general theme they're going for, kind of like a a sci-fi human versus AI deception game. And it was kind of my job to give a reason and a backstory for for everything and put it down on paper. I I really like sci-fi. I'm really kind of well-versed in it. I don't remember, was it me or was it already like a given that we wanted the AI to be like in control?
0: No, I think it was, I think you made that decision, I think. Oh, okay. We were trying to decide, hey, who who has the mi- majority, who has the minority, when we were playing games like Resistance and Avalon, of like, why are the evil guys always the minority? Like, why are they evil? And we gave them <laughs> funny, clever backstories of like, okay, well, the person in Avalon might not necessarily be evil. He got his village raided as a child by King Arthur's troops. They killed his entire family, and it was like Mordred who took him in, and that's why he's on the side of quote-unquote evil, or like... And mafia, these mafia members are just connected by family and it's their family expectations for them to succeed. And a lot of their like wives are being kidnapped and we just kind of gave them some morality. So we played around with the whole evil versus good and majority versus minority. And I think Jared came up with kind of a great idea of, hey, in this post-human setting, it is the humans who are in hiding.
2: Mm-hmm. The kind of general kind of outline I, I gave to him involved the... Humans losing a great war against these AI android-looking things is kind of how I imagined them. Something kind of post-singularity, if you're kind of familiar with sci-fi, you know, after computers have exceeded or reached human capabilities. One of the themes that I don't think has really played a whole lot around with it is kind of the other direction of singularity, the idea of humans getting more machine-like, and I was like, well there's a deception mechanic i think that that's the way in to kind of make sense of this what if the the ai haven't just been getting more human like but the humans have gotten so machine like in the process of fighting this war that they're indistinguishable so it takes place after after the war and the ai have dominion over the over the earth and they're trying to root out the last holdouts of humanity but it's kind of a impossible task because they they look so, they're entirely indistinguishable.
1: Let's take a step back just a minute, and for any listener who's not familiar with your game, can you give us the quick pitch?
0: Yes, the quick pitch is Emergence is a game of teamwork and deception. It's playable in 45 minutes to an hour and a half. It pits humans versus AI in a setting where players are moving around the board, and they try to collect resources to score points for their team. And they can also use those resources to unlock player actions that will help them interact with other players on the board. It's kind of a resistance meets Catan player setting, persuasion, and
1: strategic game. Jared, as you were working on the theme, was there ever a mechanic that you were having a hard time fitting in?
2: Yeah, there's this switching element and the way that it was presented to me when I came in and started working on it, you have a token. And on one side is blue and on the other side is green. At the start of the turn, everyone has their chip in their hand. And at the same time, everyone puts it blue side up or green side up and on a particular action. That determines just how you can interact with the board and also what actions you can take. That pre-programmed element, I mean, it's really cool. It's, It's kind of like our shining mechanic, I think. Really pulls everything together. You're not only trying to figure out who's on your team, but you're trying to figure out how is everyone going to decide their actions for that round. You're not locked in entirely, but if someone picks blue and you pick green, you might not be able to spy on them, for instance, or move in a direction that you want to go. But just figuring out how to justify that and make it sound kind of cohesive and short and sweet and overall work it into the book that was really difficult i'm still kind of working on that i'm going to revisit it a little bit we got a while until the game comes out but essentially what i kind of came up with was the idea that these players your operatives they're becoming more or less human each resource corresponds to being more biological or more mechanical in order to acquire it in the first place you have to be more human or less human like an organ or something that contains data of some kind, you know, some kind of, like, biological computer.
1: At the very beginning of the process, you sat down and you said, okay, hey, we're going to make a deception game. We love that idea. But I assume you said, hey, there's a lot of deception games out there. We need to make something that's going to stand out, that's going to be different. Talk to me about how you addressed that challenge.
0: Yeah, we said, sat down and said, hey, we want to do something with deception. And we asked, hey, what else do you like? And I think a lot of people like choosing roles and choosing unique roles and the ability that they could do a lot of different things. One of the main criticisms in Deception was, okay, all we can do is really argue, vote, and then a selective complaint mafia, a select member of people get to do ability special to themselves. And we said, hey, why don't we try to extend that to everybody so everybody has these abilities to unlock and they can, they can use those abilities if they want to. So that's where we built in the pre-programmed element everybody chooses their action all together at the same turn almost pre-programmed and then we said well we also enjoy board i think there should be more purpose than just arguing i think it should be accomplishing a a larger goal and that's where we decided that we want a goal we wanted to have individual characters that we'd be moving around one of the last things we added was we want this game so it can't be quarterbacked by, by one person. I think we've all played those co-op games where it can theoretically be mapped out or the game can be mathed out in, in terms of like, okay, we can win if you do this and I do this and you do this. And I feel like for our game, we've made a really nice balance that, hey, the reason why someone can't do that is because one, you don't trust them, but two, everybody moves character individually and you don't want to be giving away what you're going to do to the opposing team.
1: How long have you guys been working on Emergence?
0: Since October, we've met every Tuesday for the last six months. Now that the Kickstarter was getting really busy and, and right before the Kickstarter, we started meeting on weekends as well. So a long, long time for us. And and this was a group
1: of anywhere from like five to, to 12 people. Tell me about Emergence version 0.1. You know, what did it look like at the very beginning?
2: A cardboard box. <laughs> yeah, cardboard box. We took Catan
0: pieces, and we printed Google images on top of them. (laughs) We had boxes from Amazon that they would ship me for other things I bought, and I used that cardboard, cut it into squares, and then glued a printed paper on top for our player boards. We took cubes from Pandemic, we used voter tokens from Seven Wonders or something like that, and then we used characters from like Lords and It. We scrapped a lot of different games just to play that version 1.0, and I think we even took the Halo 5 logo or cover art they had and wrote, like hand wrote the words emergence on it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and if you could imagine for a second, some of this was done like at our local gaming hobby shop and tavern. So if you can imagine that walking in, you're in the Magic the Gathering section, and then there's a bunch of people gathered around on a table with exacto knives sprawled out and they're like carving things into Catan tiles and gluing, gluing other things to them. I'm really surprised that we didn't get kicked out.
0: I think it was lucky because we were, um, we're their old customers. We're one of their regulars. They probably thought it was weird too. They're like, these guys used to play so many board games at like the cafe area. What are they doing? Like sitting at a
1: random table with their exacto knives out, like playing? (laughs) what is this? So that was, that was pretty interesting. How did you come up with the name Emergence?
0: We pretty much just voted. I think everybody came up with a name. What were some other ones? There's Emergence. There's like AI versus humans. The next deception. Some pretty ridiculous ones. But, Jared, you could probably talk about how you feel like the name currently fits really well.
2: I don't know. It just makes sense in a lot of ways. Emerging threat. You know, it's kind of post-AI war and singularity emerging. I don't know. It just... I couldn't imagine it being any being named anything else. It's just, it's just perfect.
1: You know the way you've described the theme and the setup. It, I almost wonder if the emerging threat isn't the humans. They're more the now the emerging threat to the AI.
0: That's what we're thinking too. And I think in our game, we have just made it kind of anytime we figure out both humans, we just start yelling, "Emergence, emergence!" <laughs> um, but you're right. I think it is the human threat. Like the more serious names we got to was like Genesis or Requiem or Alliance or Machina. And I think all those names had already previous connotations to them. Like Genesis, people are thinking about Terminator, Genesis, Machina, people, I think. they Deus Ex. Yeah. Requiem, I think like Requiem for a dream. And then nobody just like nobody liked Alliance. They just thought that was miserable. We definitely were going for kind of a sci-fi element.
1: Yeah, it's a great name. So tell me about when you first played the game with someone who had, had nothing to do with it, maybe in a playtesting experience or a friend or a family member, what was the big aha moment then?
2: So I brought two of my friends over there. They're, they're twins. I've known them since middle school. We played a lot of pen and paper, tabletops, and mini, mini wargaming. And I'd gathered that they come from a pretty nerdy household. Um, they play a lot of games. But I was underestimating just how much. Uh, I bring them over, like you know, come, come on, check, check out this game that we're working on. Uh, give us, give us your feedback. They play the whole game like they are just confused and they don't really know what's going on and they're making poor choices. And it's like, okay, okay, they don't know. Maybe it's the system that we've developed. Uh, maybe it's just not as doesn't doesn't draw in new people quite as well as we would hope. And then the big reveal happens and it turns out they're both humans working together and they were just playing dumb the entire time. <laughs> yeah, I think playing with new people, you're always worried
0: that for these deception games that you don't want to kill them too early because they might just have a bad experience. And then you're like kind of careful on like how you interact with them because it's, it, can, it can be really brutal.
1: If you get discovered really early.
2: I'm never going to trust them again. Exactly. <laughs>
1: Terrible playtesters playing the game too well. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about your Kickstarter project. You guys have been live for, what, a little over a week, I think. So far, how's it going?
0: It's going extremely well. It's, uh, we we're actually surprised at all the, all the support we're getting and kind of all our backers that really want to see this game in their hands. So we definitely didn't expect it to do as well as it's doing. Doing the Kickstarter page, I think people underestimate how much work it goes into it. For us, I know when we were creating the video, it probably took us 18 hours of shooting footage to even get that two minute video, and w- and probably t- another 10, 15, 18 hours of editing. Because we, we'd shoot something, we didn't like the audio, we'd shoot something else, and we kinda set our script wrong. Just a lot of that back and forth, like, hey, like we gotta reshoot this, we gotta shoot this in this setting, we gotta shoot this in lo- this location for us, I think because the rest of the board game was just so nice that we wanted to make a nice video. And then we started getting into the content and how to present our board game. And that's where Jarrett really took the lead of, okay, like how thematically heavy should it be? We don't want to scare off new backers. Um, if, if new backers read this and all they see is a lot of new verbiage or a lot of sci-fi thematic things that they can't identify with, it might turn them off. And think. hit
2: you with a wall of text.
0: Exactly, exactly. Um, it might they might think, hey, this game's not for me because, like, I don't know any of these verbs. And so we try to balance it between, hey, we have some nice flavor in there, but also it really is. We try to make it easy to read so you know what our game is.
2: And I think that for a lot of us on the team, it's kind of that first experience of having success of a long-term project. It's not necessarily for work or anything else. It's just I'm not sure how to how else to describe it. You know, that feeling of, you know, this can work. This can be a thing. This can be really successful, you know?
1: Right, absolutely. So, what do you attribute your success so far to?
2: I'd say just a professional kind of mindset that we're going to make the best possible thing. We're going to proofread everything twice, make sure all the punctuation is correct, all the little details are are lined up, that it's balanced just the way that we want it. We're going to have a quality product or bust, you know?
0: Yeah. And for me, I think it's definitely trust when we assign a friend a task. Like when we told Jared, hey, we need you to work on this thematically. We need you to do intro. We need you to do the rules. The trust that you will have it done. Knowing that, hey, you're not getting paid for this. This is our passion project. But still having that approach of being professional, knowing that your friends are are looking up to you and, and relying on you. I think that's what kind of made this project so well, was that, hey, when we assigned someone a task, that we had confidence in our friends
1: that they would go and do it instead of putting it off. Last I checked, you've already blasted through your stretch goals. (laughs) Do you have new ones planned? Are they coming? Or what What are you doing there? I
0: think we just put them all up last night, all the way up to 100000 So we had a lot of good things planned. The biggest thing we're worried about is the shipping costs. So every time we have kind of more stretch goals, it makes the project a little, that much heavier. If you add too many things, it might expand the size of our box that we've already set. So we just wanted to make sure that all our expansion items and all the things that we're doing make sense in terms of how it fits in our original box at the same price that we quoted everybody. So actually, as of probably later this afternoon today, you'll see all the goals up to 100,000. But yeah, we have, we have a lot more things in store and we're excited for what we feel like is going to get unlocked. We really didn't think we'd go this quickly. So a lot of our like, even sketch graphics haven't been made yet.
2: I think at one, at one point we tossed around the idea of getting an artist, but it kind of fell through. I think that what we got nails it, you know?
0: So we're thinking about doing some <laughs> promo cards and we still might do that, actually. Um, oh. Bring like a local professional artists that's someone that has a big backing and having them do a couple of our cards but a lot of that stuff's in the work because we got so because we got such a nice receptive warm applaud for our iconography and the way it was designed we i think we really like that theme and want to stick to it
1: so speaking of shipping and, and the box and whatnot do you have all the logistics figured out manufacturing and whatnot
0: Yeah, so that's actually the exciting part and probably what I spend the most time on is reading all about that. I know Jamie Stonemeyer has a great blog. James Maith has a great blog as well. Big companies that people like to use are Panda GM. Ludofax in Germany, but a lot of people will also ship using or manufacture using Wingo. And so Panda GM, Wingo are kind of the industry standards. And in terms of that, your minimum quantity order is about 1,500. And at that cost, you're getting about anywhere from 7 to $12 a game at 1,500 orders. Throwing shipping on there, there's a couple ways you can do shipping. One is to send it out, to freight it to dis- different distribution centers. So if you freight it out of Europe, then you can, you can help save your backers on VAT and customs if you pay for it yourself. If you freight it to America, you might have a distribution center package everything up and ship it for you. And so we're still trying to figure out a better price point for our australian backers because i know just shipping to australia is really expensive so in terms of shipping there's just a lot of different ways you can handle that Uh, and for us as the volume increases it just gets harder and harder because the timeline gets pushed out and what you can fit on a boat becomes more and sometimes you just don't want to you don't want to split up too many things in too many different places
1: so you hit your goal life seems pretty good what's keeping you up at night now
2: I don't. I don't think anything ever has. I. I was pretty confident that the project would work out. I'm. I'm surprised by just how overwhelming the success we've had with it. We met our goals in the first day, essentially. But I didn't really have any doubt that we would, like, that this would get funded. You know that we would be able to send this game to print. I, I had the exact opposite. I was. I probably thought
0: that like this would flop really badly which is actually probably more relief than what we're, we're doing now because the more and more backers, the more nervous I get that. Oh my, like you get that artist fear of, what if they don't <laughs> like your game? Like, what if people really hate it? And you just have that kind of fear
2: of, oh man, what if the internet just hates us? <laughs> <laughs> we aren't making Ant Simulator. That is <laughs> true. Um, but they did do a
0: great job, but man. And the second thing is the logistics is, is kind of what keeps me up at night. Okay, we're adding all these stretch goals. We're getting new quotes from our manufacturer. We're getting a lot more orders for the game. How do we go about making sure that everybody gets a game on time, especially with the timetable we quoted them?
2: At least with my experience of Kickstarter, a lot of people don't put that kind of thought into it. So like we're already, what what Billy's doing, making sure that the logistics are all handled. That's more than unfortunately a lot of people do. You know, it's just putting in that effort like showing up looking your best making the product look its best makes the game a good part of what it is enjoying something that had a lot of thought and care put into it it's like having having a home cooked meal where every every ingredient was grown from the from the garden uh, versus getting getting some fast food it's just that attention to detail that thought that care that not everyone does that unfortunately
1: yeah, I mean, like you were saying, the kind of that professionalism. So after Emergence is out and people are happily playing it, what's next for you guys?
0: To be honest, I'm not too quite sure yet. I think it's, it's hard to think that far ahead. But I think if, if people are really receptive to the game and people love it, then I think the first priority for us is to create a community or a platform or, or somewhere where they can go and share their ideas and their playthroughs and all their variations and variants of the game. For us, the map set, uh, so because it's a modular hexagon map, I think a lot of players would be excited to share their own map creations. It doesn't have to be in that 4x5x6x5x4. By 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 it could be 1x2x3x2x2x2x1. So I think people are really excited, are going to be excited to share their variants, their creations, and and I hope someone takes the game into a almost viral level where they love playing it so much that they've created a league. Just We just want to support the community if there is one. Um, and I think that's
2: number 1 priority. I personally would like to like to see more games, but that might be a little bit too far out there in terms of in terms of our plans.
1: Well, it's never too early to start dreaming. Yep. <laughs> so what advice do you guys have for game designers who are planning their first Kickstarter project?
2: I just had a conversation with someone about this. My friend is planning to He's had a, an idea for an RPG, like a like a tabletop, for quite a quite a while now, and he was talking to me about, you know, what kind of what kind of things do you do, what what's the best route, what's the process of Kickstarter, and I would say just kind of what I've been saying this whole time, just making it look good, making it look like a lot of thought and effort and care has been put into it. If you don't have any artistic talent or don't have anyone. Working with you to make the design and the art of it, then save up money to find someone that that does. Having something to look at, I think, really sealed our product. We had gifs, we had video, we had our design elements. It looks like, and it is more or less like we got most of the game already already done with in terms of figuring out just how it's going to play and look like. That's essentially. A completed game that you're seeing on our on our kickstarter or at least the assets the the pieces of it
0: for me I, I would say for game designers it's overcoming that fear of showing people your game when you initially start you're very protective of your creation and your baby you don't really want it to see any criticism or you're just afraid that people might not like it or understand it but i would say the big thing is get people involved in playtesting testing early write down what they're saying and and do a lot of that. So just because one person doesn't like it or one person loves it doesn't mean everybody will. And I think you eventually see a trend when a lot of people playtest it and, and you realize, hey, what what am I okay with keeping? And what am I, what do I need to change? I think that's a big thing for game designers is they're worried a lot about, okay, it's not ready yet because I want to get this and this done or this and this done. Um, make a super easy prototype and, and get some friends to start playtesting early on. And don't be afraid to step out of your comfort zone and look up local meetups and, and get strangers' opinions. I'd say that's probably the biggest piece of advice.
2: We also did get uh, literally five cards managed to be successfully funded.
1: Oh That's right. This is, this is not your first Kickstarter project.
0: <laughs> we ran a tiny little Kickstarter fun project um, just to see what it would be like and, and how we'd interact with hackers and learn platform and that was kind of a small project
2: how yeah how the how the system worked essentially
0: hm
2: it, really it was great literally idea. it was literally just five cards is all it all it said not a not a product that we were thinking anyone would support but <laughs> people did i think that we got I think we got like we managed to meet our goals of $100 <laughs> <laughs> no
1: that's clever Well, it's time to play the game design challenge. Here's how this works. I'm going to randomly select a game theme for you guys. And you guys can think about it for a second and then just pitch something back to me just off the top of your head. Okay.
0: Yep, that sounds awesome.
1: Okay. So here we go. And your theme is going to be barnyard animals.
2: Hmm. Barnyard animals. Well, I've had something in my head for a little while. I'm gonna, I'm gonna bounce this off Billy first. I'm really drawn to like kind of the hexagonal thing that we kind of have with emergence, right? Mm-hmm. But more of like you're building something, like you're building some kind of engine to make you profit, almost like Deus kind of, okay. but but more more like harder on the like building elements, you know?
0: Yep. So kind of that engine building game where you're developing your farm and your you have upgrades and cards and upgrades that allow you to interact with more animals or produce more more animals in that regard and then you're kind of trying to take over the the local farms like
2: competing farms but how do you how are you competing with the the other players though
0: um it could be just kind of a farm collection where your engine allows you to collect more pigs and more cows and more chickens or something like that
2: what if you can buy out the other players somehow? Oh, that could be a good winning
0: condition that. If you have a certain amount of money, then you could buy out your competitors and that's how you win. Mm-hmm. Mhm. All right, I think we're ready I think we're ready to pitch it.
2: Yeah. <laughs> what about like stock almost? You're buying stock from their form. You're you're going to buy them out that way. All right, so so it's not like an all-or-nothing thing. It's kind of like you're slowly building towards it.
0: Ooh, okay, I like that. So uh, Barnyard Tycoon is the latest <laughs> game in the series of buying out your competitors. In a strategic and competitive cool business farm setting, local farmers work together and separately to grow the best livestock and make the most <laughs> money in order to, to buy out their competitors and become the monopoly of all barnyard farm
2: <laughs> you go from you go from being a family owned farm to a huge tycoon with many factories out there they're essentially just pumping out chickens and cows and <laughs> <laughs>
1: I love it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm tell you what, as soon as you guys launch Bard and Tycoon, just shoot me an email. I'll be your first backer. All right, perfect. Cool. <laughs> Coming in 2025. That's right. That's right. It's a little time to polish it. Well, Billy and Jared, it's been a real pleasure chatting with you guys. Thank you. It's cool Thanks being Jared. here. Yeah, we love chatting with you as well. Thank you very much. And we'll talk to you guys later. All right. Thank no you. No problem. Well, there you have it. That was Liminal Games, with their really exciting game, Emergence, currently tearing it up on Kickstarter. You've been listening to Your Tables on Fire. Follow us on Twitter at TableFire. And also check out our website for show notes and other details. That's yourtablesonfire.com. We'll see you next time.